So I'd like to begin the talk this evening uh, sharing a, a small teaching that I came across a long time ago, which I've always enjoyed, and I enjoy reading it as a kind of way to um, help us understand what it is that we're doing. And I think that these uh, Dharma teachings that we give a lot of times are just really addressing that question, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing here? Because um, lots of times we might be asking ourselves that question, um, and of course the answer to that will change over time. Every time we ask a question, we may get a different kind of answer. So this, um, this short teaching is, uh, it goes like this, a lecturer when explaining stress management to an audience, raised a glass of water and asked, how heavy is this glass of water? And the answers called out ranged from a fraction of a pound to, um, to a pound. And then the lecturer replied, the absolute weight doesn't matter. It depends on how long you try to hold it. If I hold it for a minute, that's not a problem. If I hold it for an hour, I'll have an ache in my right arm. If I hold it for a day, you'll have to call an ambulance. In each case, it's the same weight, but the longer I hold it, the heavier it becomes. And he continued, and that's the way it is with stress management. If we carry our burdens all the time, sooner or later, as the burden becomes increasingly heavy, we won't be able to carry on. So as with the glass of water, you have to put it down for a while and rest before holding it again. And when we're refreshed, we can carry on with our work. We can carry on with our, our, with our burden. And in a way, our life, a human life, is a burden in many ways. You know, we, we actually call our life in these Buddhist teachings, we call it samsara. It's the wheel of birth and death. This things being born and, and things dying, people being born and people dying, and this wheel that we're on. And all the human emotions and responses and reactions that we endure in relationship to this uh, changing world in which we live. And so we talk about these teachings really are pointing to letting go, like putting it down, putting the birds down, right? Not to hold it, not to carry it for so long. But the problem is that we don't actually know how sometimes. Like, right? It's, it's easy. I mean, I, how many times I heard, you know, uh, over the years, let go, let go. And it's just not that easy, right? Sometimes the more you hear it, you just kind of, you know, if somebody's saying to you, let go, you just want to say, I don't know how to let go. Stop saying that to me. No. We don't know. Sometimes we don't even know what we're letting go of. Like, what am I even, you know, what does it mean to let go? And the Buddha is where the Buddha's teachings are so clear. Because the Buddha is really pointing us in the right direction. He says that every person wants to be happy. Every person wants this release 
from the pain, from suffering, from the burden of our lives. But he says, the Buddha says, they just don't know the way. Don't know the way. And so this is the path. This is what is laid out for us from the Buddha, the path of the Buddhist teachings, is that path to the freedom, path, path to the release from the stress, from the, the burden, from the uh, suffering, from the uh, anxiety. It's the release, the pathway uh, that, that shows us the direction, which way to go. So here on retreat, we really do have the opportunity to hear some of these teachings. You know, we have a short time together, really, and we can hear some of these teachings, and we, can, we actually have the opportunity, the conditions are supportive for us to put those teachings into practice for a little while. These, these are optimal conditions for that, because so much of our... Uh, the usual activity that we're engaged in is put aside for a little while. And so we can use that energy and that attention to really focus on the subtleties more and more of our mind and our body, our experiences, see if we can understand a little bit about what's actually going on here. How, how do I carry the burden? What is it that creates this sense of pain or this suffering or this dis-ease, this dissatisfaction? What is that? And when that releases, what's that like? And what released? Why is it now that I'm actually feeling a sense of ease? I feel a sense of openness. I feel my heart is, is relaxed. What is that? And we can really start to investigate and be interested more in these, of these kinds of questions, these sometimes called existential questions about our existence, our, our, our life. So tonight I just really want to talk a little bit more about what the Buddha is pointing to. And, and we, are, the teachers, we really trust that, that as we express these words, that we're, we're touching a place within you that you already know that this is true. And I think this is why these teachings are so powerful, why they're so effective, because we're hearing something in a way that we already know. And there is a place within us that says, yes, that's true, that's right. That's like it touches our heart. And so, so in a way, we're just sort of reminding you. You know, I think that's sometimes uh, what these teachings are about. Sometimes we call um, mindfulness, another word for mindfulness is remembering. Right? Re- remembering. It's like we bring the, the different parts, the members, back together again. The way that we can get so fragmented and disjointed and uh, scattered. And we remember. It's a lovely way to think about what's happening is there's a, a kind of gathering, a collecting, a coming back together again in wholeness. And there's a feeling, there's an experience of that wholeness as there is an experience of that scatteredness, of that disjointedness, of that um, uh, where, we're, where we don't feel so together. And there's a, that feeling, we know the feeling, we know the feeling when we are more, more in, attuned, when we're more uh, uh, gathered together, when we're, when we're more whole. There's a, there's a particular feeling that we know and we like 
and we desire, right? And so, so these teachings are helping us orient and navigate that territory so that we can, we can maybe identify and know that movement a little bit better when we're scattered, when we're disjointed, when we come back together again, when we feel at ease, when we feel imbalanced, when we feel whole. And we start to understand that and, and be able to actually work with that uh, more uh, directly uh, in, our, in our practice. We might say that um, we're actually re- recovering ancient, ancient methods of knowing, right? In our Western culture, we have most, for most of us, have a fairly good developed mind, intellect, intellectual mind. And, and some of us really rely on that mind, maybe even to an extent where we have lost some of the connection to more of this, what I'm calling right now, this more ancient kind of knowing, which is really not so, doesn't have so much to do with the intellectual mind. But it's a knowing, it's a kind of direct experiential knowing of what's occurring moment to moment without going through the mind. And and the mind, in this case, I'm talking about the conceptual mind, the narrative mind, the storyline where we're we're actually uh, analyzing or figuring out or, or making sense of, making meaning out of. You know, and last night James did this lovely exercise with us to to help us experience that with the arm when we we just put our arm up and we just started moving our arm. You can maybe do that again just to kind of familiarize ourselves with it again. You know, just putting our our arm up and just just moving it back and forth, and that sense of knowing, just knowing we know something's happening. We might not even need to say what it is. There's a knowing of an experience that's occurring in the moment. We can use the mind to start making sense of it. However, the actual experience is something other. Perhaps it's, it's not so explainable until we start to put it into language, into conceptual uh, formation. So we're trying to um, draw more and more in this, this mindfulness, this mindful awareness is called this bare awareness or this, sometimes we call it the, the even witnessing or observing awareness, where we're simply observing, knowing what's occurring without having to know so much about what's actually occurring. One of my teachers once called it, he said, he said it's like, he said it's like falling backwards in slow motion. I just love the feel of that. Kind of like we're falling backwards in slow motion. Right? And, and in a way, we, we stop uh, 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 trying to make sense because as we're as we're falling backwards it's like we we can't make sense of that anymore and in a way we stop trying to make sense because we don't need to 
We don't need to make sense of every experience to try to understand and, and make meaning out of everything that's occurring. Because as we start to drop into that, kind of that falling backwards into, in slow motion, we drop more and more into this not knowing. We don't know, actually. We don't know so much of what's going on. I mean, sometimes it's called the mystery, right? Dropping into the mystery, the not knowing. Some people were actually talking about this in our groups. You know, just this, this letting go, we're talking about letting go, this dropping, dropping the conceptual mind, dropping the narrative mind. And when we, when we talk about dropping, it's an experiential, energetic experience of being more in the body, we feel more of what's happening in the body rather than just what we're thinking about in terms of, of the experience that we're having. But there's the, James and Howie have been talking about the, sense, the sensual world, the sensual world of the body where we're seeing and we're hearing and tasting and smelling and feeling you know, the, the feelings and the skin and inside, the emotional feelings and the, the feelings and sensations of the breathing. This, this, this knowing without having to make too much out of it, which is really this, is living, it's life itself, in a very bare way, a very... Um, where, where it's maybe even more simple, we might say. It's a, before the complexity arises. And as we drop and drop into this not knowing, this falling backwards, we're letting go of our attachments, we're letting go of controlling our experience and manipulating our experience, trying to get things the way I want them to be. It's this letting go, in a way, what we're talking about is really letting go of, the, of this I, this self, the sense of me that makes demands and expectations on top of what's occurring, right? This is when we talk about letting go, it's this kind of dropping back, opening up, allowing and accepting experience to be more the way it is. Sometimes we talk about this more as an experience of listening, and a sincere listening and receptivity. Just a, a listening, a receptivity to the way things are. It's like when we slow down, as we're slowing down, and people are experiencing this here, this slowing down, we start to hear things, and see things, and feel things, and inside and outside that maybe we haven't been so attuned to before. It's like this, this uh, I, on my patio where I live, I have lots of hummingbirds that come, and sometimes I'm just on the patio and hearing the flutter of the hummingbird's wings. It's the hummingbird's wings fluttering around and sometimes coming very close and then going far. You know, just that. Don't have to make anything more out of that. Or being close to a baby and just hearing the baby's breathing. 
You know, just the, that whisper of the baby's breath. Or the, just the stillness of the silence. And I'm sure people here have had moments of that, or maybe many moments of that, where it's just so quiet. And sometimes it's, it can be a little like, ooh, wow, it's really quiet. <laughs> a little startling sometimes, you know? And then we just open to it. We just allow that. Or the sound of the bell. We hear lots of bells here. You know, just the sound of the bell. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. Can we be here for it? You know, how he, how he was talking the first night, I think it was, about uh, being here for real time. I'm not sure I've heard you really speak about it quite like that, and I like that. You know, it's like you said, real time. We're going to be here now for real time. You know, and that's really what we are pointing to. That's what these teachings are pointing to. And so we, we relax. And we maybe have to help ourselves, you know, the practice and the, and the teachings and uh, the, the encouragement is this relaxation, you know, is the slowing down, is the being more quiet, you know, taking time with things. You know, so, so then perhaps something starts to happen for us. And the interesting thing is that my sense is that everybody in this room is here because we long for those moments. We desire those moments. The heart desires those moments of peace, those moments of quiet, the moments of stillness, the moments when we're not being so impinged upon whether it's impingement internally or whether it's impingement from the outside, we, 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 we long for those moments. When we have a sense of, of stillness or inner connection, a peacefulness. But isn't it interesting in itself that that is true for human beings? I think all human beings long for that peacefulness or that release or some kind of deep connection, right? But we don't, we get, we get confused. We're not sure how to find that, how to, how to, um, how to uh, f- uh, f- find that in our lives. In those moments, it can seem like nothing is missing, Nothing is lacking. Everything's here. There's that, that sense of completeness or wholeness or this is it. Right? And we know everybody here in this room has had those moments. And of course, then we, want, we don't want them to change. We don't want them to go away. We don't want it to, <laughs> we want it to last. You know? But that isn't necessarily the way it is. So can we keep letting go? Just keep getting lo- get letting go again, once again, of our attachment, of our wanting. Because we can see that when our minds and our hearts are restless and agitated, it does seem like something is missing. That's often the feeling, the sense that something's missing. There's something that's not right. There's something that's not complete. I need to, something needs to change. And when I identify with that belief, it, I think it's true. 
something really is missing, right? I mean, that's a kind of a, a no-brainer in a way, it's sort of a, a logical thing that if I think something's missing and I believe it's missing, it's going to seem like it's missing. <laughs> but that's what happens when we have beliefs about things. They become true and real. And the problem is, is because we believe that and begin to identify that, then we become very busy trying to find what's missing. Right? And it can seem like there's an empty hole and we need to fill it. There's, again, the heart desires to fill that hole with something to bring us back into a satisfactory condition. But in these teachings, we begin to challenge that belief. We challenge that belief. Is something really missing? And I want to really expand upon this a little bit, this question. Because I think it's really more from the ego mind's perspective that we think something's missing. And when I talk about ego mind, I'm referring to this way that we start to constellate, we construct ourselves into a sense of being someone, a somebody, a me, an I, a self, right? And from that perspective, I need to then search for things outside of myself or maybe experiences that I might be able to cultivate inside that are going to then fill that hole. So there's basically four primary beliefs about what we believe is going to bring us happiness, where we're going to find it and how how we're going to get it from the ego's perspective. The first one, and as I say these four, just kind of see if any of this resonates with you, if you kind of think, yeah, that's true. (laughs) And we'll just keep unpacking that. We'll kind of challenge that a little bit. So the first one is that that happiness or that satisfaction or that sense of wholeness, completeness, any way we want to talk about that, peacefulness that I'm pointing to, that it's somewhere else than here. It's not here. (laughs) This can't be it. That's the first one. It's somewhere else but here. And as soon as I have that, identify with that belief, of course, I'm going to start seeking. I'm going to start looking. I'm going to start trying to find where it is because it ain't here. So the second one is, is that, that that peacefulness or that happiness depends on certain conditions. It depends on certain conditions of this mind. My mind has to be in a certain state. My body has to be in a certain state. I have to be in a certain place. We know whether it's a a quiet place or a place in nature or with certain people or my health has to be good or my mind has to be more quiet. It is dependent on certain conditions. It's the second one. The third one is that there is actually something that I have to do to make it happen. And it certainly is going to require a lot of effort because it seems really unattainable a lot of the time. So I better get busy, right? And sometimes we call this the project mentality. I become a project or, you know, enlightenment becomes a project, my spiritual path, whatever it is, that I have to do something. And the fourth one is, is that then 
there's some place I will arrive at. But it isn't here, right? Some place I will eventually arrive at. And so then we start seeking again, you know? We're just, we're just looking for that, right? Then this is a pretty exhausting path then. It's pretty tiring. We're very busy with this. We get very busy with our activity around trying to find that or create those conditions in which we're going to come together into this place of happiness, of peace, of release. Does this, anyone kind of resonate with this a little bit? Yeah, (laughs) a few rings, a few bells. It can be a pretty painful journey because the more that we try to control and the more we try to manipulate and the more we try to make our experience a certain way, we find that we actually can get tighter. We get more constricted. We get more contracted. We get maybe more judgmental. We get more discouraged. We, you see, it's kind of a, we get into a bit of a feedback loop with it. And in a way, we actually tie ourselves in knots through this activity, which we call ego activity, or the activity of selfing, being someone who has to achieve this. There's a, something called a Chinese finger puzzle. You know, somebody, it's a kind of woven out of bam, bamboo, and, and, and if you, uh, you put your fingers in it, and then as you, it's two holes on each side, and as you pull your fingers out to try to get your fingers out, they get more stuck. You can't get your fingers out if you pull. You know, it's a little bit like that. So, so our, that's what happens when we think that we have to make this happen and it's somewhere else but here. And these beliefs just keep reinforcing this movement away from now. We just keep moving away from our experience rather than towards our experience, rather than dropping more fully in our experience which is really where we're going to find our peace because that's where it is and has always been. And it is right this minute, right now. My teacher, Hamid Ali, he says that this way of thinking becomes a subtle compass for the mind. This subtle compass because it keeps orienting us away from where we are. We keep thinking we need to go someplace else or have some kind of different experience. So we're looking into this subtlety, how this works with, within, our, within our minds and within our hearts. I want to tell you about an experience that I had um, um, not that long ago. Um, this year, I, I went to a concert with this uh, someone you're going to be familiar with, most likely this uh, wonderful woman who uh, chants. Her name's Deva Pramal. She's just an exquisite, exquisite uh, 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 voice, sound, sounder. And um, she was at the Marin uh, uh, Civic Center here. And I went a year ago, and I loved the concert so much that I was really eager to go again. 
and um, you know, got my tickets, and you know, you kind of a lot of expectation. And it was so wonderful. You know, I'm going to have this great experience, and it's very, you know, deeply healing and very, very spiritual. Brings me into a very beautiful place when I listen to her, her voice. And she's with her partner Minton, uh, who also sings and plays instrument. There's a, a flutist. Uh, the three of them, it's, they create a beautiful field of, of sound. And so I, I went, I had a seat fairly close, and um, uh, there was a person in front of me, um, which was uh, blocking my view. <laughs> and, you know, uh, those of you who go to concerts or, you know, you get excited about that, you really want to have a, you know, uh, engaged relationship with, a, with, a, with who's on stage. And I, I could only see half of the stage. And so, you know, I'm just sort of sitting with that and um, just sort of, okay, that's how it is. Let's just, you know, see if I can s- sit with this. And then her partner, Minton, uh, we found out, had a, a, a heart attack uh, just a few, um, like a month before, and he wasn't on stage. And so after 27 years of them performing together, this was the first time that she was performing on her own with her other instrumentalist, her flutist. So it was just the two of them. And so I thought, that's okay. But not only uh, as I was having difficulty seeing, I was also starting to realize that it actually wasn't as good as it was last year when Minton was there. And actually just wasn't doing it for me. <laughs> and I noticed that my mind, and I'm thinking of the story James told last night about Sylvia, you know, the, the grumbling mind. You know, how the, the grumbling mind just, I just started in. Like, I wasn't happy. I wasn't having a good time. This isn't what I expected. You know, and I was just start, just sitting there, starting to notice. It's probably you know, maybe a half an hour in, and I'm just really not happy. And so, so I just I was just sitting there. I go, okay, now let's bring this into my practice. You know, noticing my mind, noticing my experience, and then all of a sudden, the awareness was so strong that it was like the mind just popped in to the whole landscape. And it was as interesting as what was happening on stage. Like it wasn't any different. In a way there wasn't any, no longer any real concert happening. But there was a sort of total landscape of experience that also included my mind. And that was interesting too. So I just started to relax into the totality of my experience and thought, wow, look at this. I'm, there's grumbling mind, there's you know, unhappiness, it's a, there's a sense that I, my, my happiness is dependent on the conditions being a certain way in this concert. And I just started to relax and to open to my experience and everything started to shift. And it was like I was in a movie, right? More like I was in a movie, and I was in the movie, too. The person sitting in the audience who was watching the concert, who was having, was grumbling, who wasn't happening, and it was all unfolding. 
And I no longer needed the concert to gratify me. It didn't need to be the thing that was going to satisfy me or you fill that hole that for a little while was starting to feel empty. It was like that identification. This is what happens. It was a little bit like James was talking about with Sylvia. It's like the identification around that narrative dropped away. It didn't matter anymore. It didn't matter that those, those that anything, not, nothing really needed to change. Nothing needed to be different. And in that, there was a cap- capacity to just be kind and just be compassionate with the way things were, the way things are. It was just not the way it was last time. You know? It was different this time. How many times in our lives is it going to be like that, that we think it's going to be one way and it turns out to be another way? (laughs) And so we start to be able to embrace that more and more. And in a way, it was like that awareness, that recognition of that, um, of, of my, my own mind and, and emotions and feelings as part of the totality of the experience. The awareness saved, saved me from the tyranny of myself. You know, it's like there's, like without the awareness, there's a t- it's like the tyranny of me. You know, the, tyri- the tyranny of who I become in that moment. And as that awareness kicked in, it's like, oh, it's just this. Yeah, I can't really see. They're not, it's not really the performance that I hoped for. You know, and I'm grumbling and I'm not happy. And, you know, that's all that's happening. The interesting thing is that as I began to let go and I began to soften and just accept, you know, this acceptance of, of, of what was occurring, about, uh, there was an intermission, and uh, David Pramal had mentioned that Minton had been touring with them, but he wasn't going to be on stage. And so after the intermission, they come back on, and Minton comes on. <laughs> and he was, um, and it, it was like everybody applauded, and everyone was excited to see him. And so then he did a couple of songs, and he played his instrument, and it was like, the very thing, you know, that I had let go of had actually come back. <laughs> had no idea that was going to occur. And how much, how often does that happen to us as well? You know, where we finally let go and then it comes back to us. And that was interesting that, you know, Minton, he, he did ha- he, ha- he was in recovery, so he wasn't on stage too long. But he started to talk a little bit about his scar, he had a big scar, and um, his, his surgery, and he was very engaging and very um, personal with us. And then he said, but, you know, he said, I'm not going to show you my scar. You know, I'm not going to show you my scar. And then he, he starts to walk off the stage, and everybody's, you know, very happy that he, we saw him. And then he turns around, and he pulls up his shirt, and he shows everybody his scar. There's about 2,000 people in the audience, you know? <laughs> and it was, so it all became such a kind of a celebration, you know, of just um, rather than the experience, me needing the experience to be a certain way. And it became a quite a different kind of experience than what I expected. And just to be able to relax and open into that 
with that awareness, with the wisdom that knows to let go and to include, to include my mind, to include my feelings, to include my bodily experience as part of the totality of what's occurring. It's not outside, it's not inside, it's just, it's all of what's occurring. I talk about this as inclusivity, and having an attitude or a quality of inclusivity in our attitude towards what's occurring. So more and more, we, we, we don't, it's not so much of the sense of good and bad and right and wrong. And even if there is, we see that. I see that. Oh yeah, I'm in that, dis- I'm in that judgment. I'm in the judging mind. I like this, I don't like that. I want this, I don't want that. Oh yeah, that's what's going on. And then I can feel that there's some pain in there. There's some, it, it, it's uncomfortable. It's, um, uh, it's constricting. It contracts when I think that way, when I believe that way, when, when I have my demands and my expectations and, my, and I say that, yes, it has to be like this. I can feel that. It starts to feel, it's, it's, un, it's painful. So the wisdom, the wisdom and the awareness begins to see that and softens and relax and let go. We let go. Because we see it's painful. It's unsatisfactory. It's in this um, uh, uh, teaching, this language is dukkha. Dukkha, that's the Pali word for this, this dissatisfactory nature. Dukkha. The, the, the wisdom sees its dukkha and we let go. Letting go means we soften, relax the, 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 the shoulders, the arms, the the, the, the forehead, the mind, you know, we just take that out breath. Ah. Yeah, that's a beautiful breath. That's why coming into a, a friendly uh, and wise relationship with our breath is so valuable. It's so useful. Because we see that that out breath, we can, ah. Everything lets go. Our muscles let go. The cells let go. We can breathe, oxygen comes in. We learn that, it becomes a a learning, a tool that we can draw on, that supports us when we uh, come into these experiences that we find challenging, that we find difficult. And as we breathe and as we let go and relax, we, we can come more fully on the ground feel our feet on the ground. The, the energy and the attention starts to come down from the head, from the energy up here. We can come down through the heart, through the belly, through the legs, down to the ground and feel our feet on the earth and feel our sense of our body, embodied, embodied experience. This is the letting go. It's the letting go that we're we're pointing to, that we're talking about. This wonderful teacher, Kathleen Dowling Singh, who uh, recently passed away, she's a wonderful, beautiful teacher, asked the question, why is it difficult to recognize our true nature? This, this place, this beautiful, uh, innate happiness and peace, why is it so difficult? And she says, because it's too simple. 
It's too close. It's too profound. And it's too wonderful. It's almost like we can't believe it. (laughs) Too simple, too close, too profound, and too wonderful. That it's right here, not dependent on any conditions changing not really dependent on us doing much of anything at all. It's a simple, it's a very simple adjustment. It's a very simple adjustment, which is why we point to the breath and to the awareness of the sensations and to the awareness of our feet on the ground as we're walking and to taste our food and hear the sounds and to slow down and to connect more fully with the present moment where we are. Because as we do that, it, something is revealed to us. Something is revealed. It's a revelation. Right? We talk about revelation, insight, you know, insight, or something's revealed to us. And so we're setting up the optimal conditions we've learned over the years, so the, the decades now that we've been doing this, we've learned how to set up optimal conditions to support this revelation, this insight, this um, waking up to real time, use Howie's word, <laughs> waking up to real time, right? This moment, just as it is, just as it is. We, we say this again and again, right? You know? just as it is. And we mean what we say. It's not something other, not something different. It includes the whole manifestation of the mind, the whole manifestation of the body, of the emotions, of the feelings, of the senses. And in those moment-to-moment unfolding experiences, there's, um, there's something called a feeling tone. In, in the teachings, it's called Vedana. Vedana, it's a Sanskrit word, Vedana. And every moment of experience has a tone, of a valence, kind of a charge that, ha- that we can feel. And that's either pleasant, it's unpleasant, or it's somewhere in between. Sometimes we say it's neutral. Every moment. So when we have an experience of a sound, that's going to either be kind of a pleasant and somewhere along that continuum of pleasant, pleasure, unpleasant and that whole continuum of unpleasant to somewhat unpleasant to really unpleasant, so much that I don't even know if I could tolerate it. And sometimes neither. There's like no impingement at all. It's it's very neutral. Every moment, the Buddha, this is the second foundation of mindfulness that the Buddha talks about. He made it a whole foundation that we investigate, is this tone, the tonality of the moment. And why did the Buddha make it so important? The first one, remember the first one is the body, Awareness, mindfulness of body. We've been doing body, breath here. The breathing body, it's the first foundation. The second foundation is the Vedana, is the, is the feeling tone, that valence on experience. Right? Why is that so important? I know people 
Many people know the answer to that. I'm going to give you a clue. And this again, I'm just telling you what you already know. (laughs) Because we get attached to the pleasant. We hold on to the pleasant experience. We grab on, we hold on, we don't want it to, to change. And then we make a whole thing about what it means when I have a pleasant experience. I'm doing well, now I'm really good, I'm a great meditator, I'm really getting someplace, things are going right in the right direction, now I'm really progressing. <laughs> right? Or the unpleasant experience, well, same thing, we just start to contract, we want to get rid of it, we resist it, we push it away, we don't want it. And the whole body-mind starts to contract in that resistance and sometimes fear. And then we make a whole narrative and whole storyline about that. What it's going to mean if I actually feel that, I'm going to die. If I really, if I really let myself feel this pain, I'm going to lose my leg, I'm going to have to go to the hospital, you know. I mean, sometimes we need to listen to that. <laughs> but sometimes we also want to see that it's actually the mind creating this whole uh, storyline out of this unpleasant Vedana, this unpleasant feeling. And sometimes when it's neutral, when it's in between, when it's not impinging so strongly, we kind of maybe go a little bit of sleep, get a little bored, indifferent. It's like, you know, it's like nothing's happening. And we can actually make a whole story about that too. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening in my practice. I'm not going anywhere. How come... I'm doing this, you know, I thought that I understood it, and now nothing's happening, right? Just neutral feeling. (laughs) And we can just feel that, because what's going to happen is going to change. Every moment, every moment, things are changing through the sounds and the sights and the smells and the tastes and the feelings, right? Smells. And every one of those are going to have a pleasant or unpleasant aspect to it. So we have the opportunity to look and see, is the mind moving towards or away? Is it grasping on, wanting to hold on, or is it wanting to resist and push it away? And this is what moves. The mind moves. There's nothing else moving but the mind. The mind moves towards what it wants and away from what it doesn't want, towards what it likes and away from what it doesn't like. This is what moves. And when we can see that from a place of awareness, this is I was sitting in that seat and I saw my mind moving, that which is seeing, the awareness itself, is not moving. It's still steady, it's quiet, it's embracing, it's vast, just is, right? The awareness itself watches, witnesses, observes the mind moving in this reaction, in this grasping, this attachment. We can see it. And without identifying with it, without getting caught up in it, without uh, believing it, it just 
arises and passes. Like everything else, (laughs) arising and passing. Arising and passing. This is the this is the, the 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 promise. This is the invitation. This is the possibility for us. The the true heart's release. When we can see things as they really are. Wanna read this uh, piece from Thich Nhat Han. Our beautiful Vietnamese meditation master and Carajul's teacher, um, who actually points to these moments when we are able to come into relationship in this way. With just the most simple of activities, we can even begin to feel these moments as holy moments. Almost like it starts to become kind of there's a kind of a sacredness or a holiness in the way things are unfolding. This is from Thich Nhat Hanh from his book, uh, Peace in Every Step. He says, to my mind, the idea that doing the dishes is unpleasant can occur only when you are not doing them. (laughs) Once you are standing in front of the sink with your sleeves rolled up and your hands in warm water, it's really not so bad. And I really, I really can relate to this. I enjoy taking my time with each dish, being fully aware of the dish, the water, and each movement of my hands. I know that if I hurry in order to go and have a cup of tea, the time will be unpleasant and not worth living. That would be a pity for each moment, each second of life is a miracle. The dishes themselves and the fact that I am washing them are miracles. The fact that it's happening at all. If I'm incapable of washing dishes joyfully, if I want to finish them quickly so I can get to dessert, I will be equally incapable of enjoying my dessert. With the fork in my hand, I will be thinking about what to do next, and the texture and the flavor of the dessert, together with the pleasure of eating it, will be lost. Isn't this it? So, so close to our experience. It's what happens for us. He says, I will always be dragged into the future, never able to live in the present moment. Dragged into the future. Each thought... Each action in the sunlight of awareness becomes sacred. I must confess it takes me a bit longer to do the dishes, (laughs) but I live fully in every moment and I am happy. I live fully in every moment and I am happy. I really want you to get a sense, I, I, this has been such an important reflection for me of this, of a happiness that is not dependent on conditions, changing, being different. The conditions of my mind, the conditions of my body, the conditions of other people's minds, <laughs> other people's bodies, 
the conditions of the circumstances that are occurring, can I, can I find that peace, that stillness, that heart's release right in the moment with whatever is occurring at all? Right now, one person said, right now, this is the axis of this turning world. Right now is the axis of this turning world. We sit still and we walk slow because truly we know, we do know that there's nowhere we have to go. There's really nowhere that we have to go. Why would we have to? when right here is completely fulfilled. Because the going is going to happen anyhow. <laughs> because we, we, we're alive, we're human beings, and this world is a world of activity. I, I'm just thinking of this thing Joseph Goldstein said once. He said, he said tr- try to, he said, it just is, is an experiment to check out whether this is true or not, whether this going is going to happen anyhow. He says, when you wake up in the morning, lie in bed and say, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to get out of bed and see what happens. <laughs> see how long you can actually lie there before something is going to call you out of the bed. And maybe you're thinking of the same thing I'm thinking about. <laughs> what the first thing is, is going to call me out of the bed, right? <laughs> and it's going to be my body, right? I'm going to have to go to the bathroom, right? Or I'm going to have some ache or pain or, you know, I'm going to have to shift my, you know, I'm going to have to start to move. I mean, something's going to call me out. Phone call or, you know, my, my relationship, my child. I mean, something. Life. Life happens. Life unfolds. Life calls us. We respond. We, we go. But can we go? Can we go? Mm, I want to say, can we go without going? Can we go without actually going anywhere at all? Can we go with staying right here, not leaving, not leaving ourselves? staying in this intimate connection with what's occurring right now. So let's just sit for a moment. You don't even have to change your posture. We'll just take a couple moments of silence together.
and thank you for your attention. And most of you are probably going to get up and go. (laughs) So maybe just bringing a little bit more awareness to that transition, noticing what happens. Are you really going anywhere at all? So we have a half an hour right now for some walking and we'll come back for our sitting together at nine o'clock. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.